0: The Touchdown City Podcast is presented by Salango Law, where you don't get excuses, you get results. Visit them online at salangolaw.com.
1: to you from the Riverbank
0: Studio is your host, Anthony Lewis, along with Avon Coburn and Derek Bailey, and this is the Touchdown City Podcast.
2: Hello, Mountaineer fans and blue lot beer drinkers. Welcome into the Touchdown City Podcast, presented by our friends at Salingo Law and produced in partnership with HD Media and the Charleston Gazette Mail. I'm Anthony Lewis, and on tonight's episode of the Touchdown City Podcast, I think I've got a pretty good one lined up for you. We're going to do something a little different. I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine named Scott Bartlett. He is a producer, director, and a longtime member of the Mountaineer Sports Network, and has been working at West Virginia University since 1988. On, and we're going to kind of go through the evolution of what you see on television today, the video board in Morgantown, and uh, his various roles um, doing that at West Virginia University. Um, a little inside baseball. He is the guy that gave me my start in sports TV at West Virginia University, so it was good to catch up with him. And he's an old friend of mine. And um, you know, even outside of sports, we have a lot in common. And uh, got to, uh, it was good to catch up with him. So we got a great show lined up for you. We're also going to give you some sound from Coach Neil Brown here in just a second from yesterday's press conference. But um, just a few days ago, there was an announcement that four teams will submit their invitation to the Big 12. And, again, that's going to be Central Florida, uh, Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati. Now, on the show, uh, the post-Maryland game show, or the show, um, I I, kind of voiced my opinion on this. Uh, I don't know if it's time to expand to four teams. I think maybe two teams would be best. And here's why. I think when you start cutting up money – and dividing money based on value brought to the conference. I don't think you've got four teams in that group that bring a lot of value, that can keep your money where it is, or at least close. We know we're going to take a pay cut with the loss of Oklahoma and Texas, but I just don't see those four teams bringing enough value. I could be totally wrong, and I hope I'm wrong. Uh, So we shall see. I am glad that Cincinnati um, is going to apply to be a member of the Big 12 you know, over the years, I've become very fond of going to um, away games. And I love the trip to Cincinnati. I live in Charleston, only two, two and a half hours from here. So it was an easy trip. Always a lot of Mountaineer fans there in uh, Cincinnati. So it'll be good to have them back on the schedule and also, of course, uh, in basketball. Coach Bob Huggins, um, you know, he was a, a bear cap for a long time. So I'm sure he'll be excited to get back. And, of course, we know him from the days in the Big East. Central Florida, I think that would be an easy trip to make. um You know there are flights out of Charleston to Orlando, so I expect to see a lot of mountaineer fans in Orlando and uh, I just don't know about Houston. I don't know if you'll get a lot of people going to Houston, but um and of course, Dana Holgerson may or may not be the head coach at Houston. I hope he is. I would love to see his return to Morgantown to see what his reception would be like and then I think b y u would be a much added value to the conference. They have a huge following. I don't know if any of you got to go to um, D.C. a few years back to see the West Virginia BYU game, but the place was packed, and uh, they represented very well. The one nice thing I did like about having them there in D.C. was I didn't have to get beer out of the WVU side. I just went to the BYU side, and there was nobody in line. So uh, that was a nice um, that was a nice feature of having them in D.C., but um, I think... Uh, of the four that are going to apply, I think BYU and Cincinnati bring the most value. All right, still to come, we've got some uh, a great interview with Scott Bartlett. Uh, again, he is a longtime, and I don't even think they call it the Mountaineer Sports Network anymore. But uh, he's a longtime video production guy at West Virginia University. And then uh, I'm go- as we go to break, I'm going to leave you with some sound from yesterday's press conference. Here's Coach Neil Brown.
3: You must never confuse faith and faith to me is belief in the unseen. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end which you can afford which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. Um I'll read it again. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality. And so and I say that to kind of start this is is like um, I still have extreme faith that, that we're going to prevail and we're going to uh, build a program here that's going to have a great infrastructure and, and be uh, set up for to win uh, long-term. But I'm also not blind to what our brutal facts are right now, and that's that we're 0-1 and one and we didn't play very well. Um, and really outside of our kickoff return unit and our kickoff team, I'm not sure that we won a whole lot of individual battles in the game, um, coaching or playing. And so – so that's kind of our brutal reality, and once you know where you are, you got to know where you where you want to go, and and it's uh our brutal reality is one 0 We we were soundly defeated. Like I said, offensively we had three turnovers. Um, one of them uh, on a third and one. One of them in the end zone. One of them was a really poor decision on a first play of a drive. Um, we didn't play physical enough up front weren't consistent at quarterback defensively we didn't play to the standard that we've created here over the last year and a half um started very poorly um didn't tackle very well Uh, we had poor communication that gave up over 120 yards uh, of of offense um then special teams we had a huge turnover on punt return and and we didn't kick off the ball very well and so um that's kind of what our brutal reality is and now there were positives in the game offensively we started fast you know, came out of the gates really really well. Thought our receivers consistently won versus versus man coverage. Uh defensively, I thought in the third quarter we played like we're capable of. Um that was the only quarter, but in the third quarter I felt like we played like we're capable of. Um we handled sudden change uh well. Something that we didn't do as good a job with a year ago. And then on special teams, our kickoff return unit highlighted by Winston Wright was special and uh really probably kept us in the game. Um but I think as uh as we move forward, we gotta learn from it and grow. It we didn't we didn't perform very well. And we're judged on games. That's way it, that's the way it's in this business. We're all you know, big people here and um one one game won't run a season. You know, today when we when we get our players back together we're gonna highlight a bunch of teams that have lost a game that was a fifty fifty game to start. Um and rebounded to have really good seasons. And we're going to highlight those teams that, that, that occurred with within our league. And there's several that you can look back up over the last four years. Um, but we got to play better. And it starts with Saturday. Um, we got our first home game which, uh, with fans. And it's going to be a 5 o'clock kickoff, and, which I think is a, a, a friendly time for our fans. Uh, gives people from out of town plenty of time to get here and, and experience tailgating. And I hope they will. I hope our fans don't, don't give up on us after one, one game. And I don't believe they will. Um, I get that they're frustrated, and, and I think our players and our staff are frustrated as well. Um, you know, Long Island is is a program that has a strong tradition in Division Two. They're they they're making the transition to an FCS program. Uh, it's a program I know quite a bit about just because Coach Jackson is uh, he's an alumni, and so familiar through that. They've experienced some some hardships. Um, I do think it's uh, worth noting that we're going to play them on the 20th anniversary of nine 11, you know, um, and they were as a university and as a football program were deeply affected by nine 11, just like our university was as well. And so their players will be excited. There's no question. I've been on the other, other side of this, their players are gonna be excited. It's going to be the biggest venue on the biggest stage they've ever played in and we'll get their best. Um, but it's not necessarily uh, about them. It's about us making improvements. It's, uh, you know, just to give you kind of an up, you know, kind of a brief who they are, is offensively they're multiple, um, similar to what Maryland was on Saturday. They're going to give us a lot of misdirection screens. Um, they got a couple really, uh, you know, guys that that, that are going to belong. And the receiver is really talented. He had a couple big balls on FIU last week. Uh, number four, his uh, – I'll give you his name. Is uh, Eugene. He's a really good player. I was impressed with him. We got a tight end, number eight, Glasgow, that uh, transferred from Penn State and their quarterback. I thought he managed it really well last week, a uh, kid named Orth. Uh, defensively, they're a team that likes to pressure. Uh, we didn't handle those very well um, on Saturday, and, and they're going to do that. They got a defensive end that, that one of the top defensive ends in FCS which is a really good player, and they get a, a corner named Snead who's been around the ball a lot in his career and, and good players. Special teams, they've got a good kicker, and, and they've hit a couple kickoff returns. Um, their running backs handle their kickoff returns, and they're they're solid players. Um, but like I said, it's it's really more about us and and getting back. We're going to play a lot of people this week. We're going to play some people that didn't play a week ago. Uh, we're going to give our young guys uh, plenty of opportunities uh, to get out there and show that they're capable of playing. Um. And a lot, a lot to look forward to this weekend. I think Family Day here on campus, and I know we'll have a bunch of uh, students' families in. Uh, we talked about 9-11 and the 20th anniversary there. We're also going to honor our 2020 seniors that never had an opportunity to have a senior day. So those who uh, are able to make it are going to be here. We have Heroes Day where we're, we're honoring West Virginia um first responders. And so it's uh, there's a lot going on. Um, but for us within this building, most important thing is what we get done in practice this week, which is we've got a starting point that nobody's really happy with, and we've got to continue and improve. So don't go anywhere. What we're dealing with here is a complete lack of respect for the law.
1: The relationship between a lawyer and a client is based on trust. You have to make certain that the lawyer you hire has your best interests at heart. We typically meet our clients at the worst times of their lives, and it's our job to help them. Over the years, we've been entrusted with some of the biggest cases in West Virginia. That's because we have a track record of success and getting exceptional results. We built a reputation as one of the go-to law firms throughout the state of West Virginia.
0: Joining me, uh, a high-profile lawyer, Ben Salango. Ben, it's a real honor to have you on.
1: In fact, many of our cases come from other lawyers. Lawyers who've worked with us, lawyers who've worked against us, and even those who've merely heard of our results. We're proud of the reputation we've earned in the community for providing exceptional, aggressive legal representation. When you hire my law firm, you don't get excuses. You get results. Sagging, bouncing, or uneven floors? Standing water or high humidity? Nasty odors or dangerous mold? Crawl space problems don't get better with time, but they do get better when you call Alford Home Solutions.
3: Bar 101, located on Capitol Street in downtown Charleston, provides unlimited options for fun social gatherings and great dining, and the best nightlife in the city. Bar 101 has a full dinner menu, including
2: wings, pork bowls, salads, and more. Be sure to enjoy a cheeseburger with fries with the draft beer for only $13. It's Bar 101's daily special, plus $1 off drafts during happy hour from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Bar 101 also
3: provides carryout and catering, Call. 304-346-1101 Or find Bar 101 on Facebook Bar 101 Get more bank for your business With United Bank Whether you'd like to start a business Purchase commercial real estate or equipment United Bank can help We support business development Throughout our great state Making business and consumer loans And fueling opportunities Small business owners dreams come true And larger corporations grow What can we do for your business? United Bank, West Virginia's bank. Proud to be united with the Mountaineers. Equal housing lender. Member FDIC.
1: Apparel at bestmastertailor.com.
3: At Warner Law Offices, the best part of our day is getting to hand a client a settlement check, knowing we've helped them get on with their life. If you've been hurt in a car wreck or from a workplace injury, call us. I'm Bobby Warner, and I'm your lawyer. Welcome, stranger. What's up, guys? This is Anthony Beck, former WVU tight end, and you're listening to the Touchdown City Podcast.
2: Welcome back to the Touchdown City Podcast. Don't forget, swing by your favorite podcast platform and hit subscribe. And also, if you like the show or don't like the show, give us a review. We'd like to hear from you. And our guest this week, um, a long, long long-time dear friend of mine. His name is Scott Bartlett. He is the director of broadcasting for the athletic department at West Virginia University. And when I say a long-time friend, I'm sure at some point we'll talk about it. But basically, a long-time friend and mentor. But um, I thought this would be a good show for this week uh, to give you listeners a little bit of the background and some of the backstory and let you behind the screen and let you know who does some of the TV work at West Virginia University. And we'll probably throw around some names that you may not know, but I promise you there's some. they are characters amongst uh, West Virginia University um, history. But first and foremost, Scott Bartlett. Welcome to the Touchdown City Podcast.
0: Well, thank you, Anthony, and I enjoy your podcast, so uh, I'm very honored to be on tonight.
2: Well, I appreciate you taking the time and um, so for the listeners, just let me I'm sure some of them have heard about from time to time I'll go into you know my my days working at West Virginia University. Scott is basically the man responsible for bringing me to Morgantown in the fall of nineteen ninety nine um, and it was so strange. Once I got there working, we had so many uh, friends and people in common that it was almost kind of strange. If you, <laughs> It was weird the way it all worked out.
0: You know, it was. And um, the fact that we're from the same hometown but grew up in different areas and didn't know each other um, from our St. Albans days was really unique. But uh, I just loved your personality. The day that I hired you, the day that you came to work for us. If you remember, I actually had you um, within the first couple weeks up here at my house um, going trick-or-treating with my my son, who is now 27 years old, married.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's been, um, like I said, I came in the fall of 1999, and, you know, AJ was a little guy. Uh, I'm not sure Sarah had even been born
0: Nope, she wasn't born until 2000.
2: Yeah, so she wasn't even in the picture, and now they are. Uh, you know, like you said, AJ is a, a grown adult man. He's married and doing well. And Sarah is, is she still with the university?
0: She is. She's getting ready to start her senior year, and I'm so proud of her. Um, as of right now, she's summa cum laude. She's oh,
2: wow. uh, she's a, <laughs> she yeah. got the smarts. <laughs> well, uh, first let's let's go back a little bit. Tell everyone that's listening what you do and have done at West Virginia University. Uh, Tell us what you do now currently with the athletic department.
0: Certainly. Well, I'll step back a little bit. I'm getting ready to um, hit my 31 year anniversary Mm -hmm. of working uh, for WVU. And uh, that's hard for me to believe. So this will be my 32nd football season um, this year. When I came to um, WVU, uh, I worked for a department that did all of the video work for the university, and I, I mean everything—any promotions, advertising for the entire university and all of the individual departments. But our primary client was the athletic department, the Mountaineer Sports Network, and they were—they were fledgling; they were relatively new um, in in certain areas. They had been doing some uh, broadcasts on public television. Um, for at least ten years before I started full time, um, but when I started in 1990, um, we were in our second year of a, uh, a, a really a model program that that people weren't doing. Um, it was a magazine format TV show, mm-hmm. and I thought it was brilliant. Um, most um, college sports coaches shows were the college sports. Coaches show, mm-hmm. the Don Mulan show, the Dana Holgerson show, the Neil Brown show, you know, go throughout the country. But that's the way it was then. And, and frankly, that's the way it is again now. Right. So it was incredibly innovative what they were doing. And um, I got hired to be a production assistant and quickly moved up to producer, which was outstanding. We had a, a, a big turnover. I want to say 1991. When I was young. And, um, still learning and, and finding my way through the world. And, um, I was made, uh, a producer and then eventually a senior producer and started producing the, um, the, the player profiles for, um, the Mounder Sports Network for Mounder Magazine. And that was incredible. Uh, a few years later, the, the gentleman, Nick Smith, which I'm sure we'll get into some stories about Nick later, <laughs> um, he left the university after the 93 football season. So in January of 1994, I became the director for the Mountain Sports Network, and I was pretty young. Um, I wasn't 30 yet. I was in my late 20s, and um, it was quite a challenge, and, boy, was it exciting. Mm -hmm. So through the years, um, the different things that we did, televising the games, um, getting our relationship with the Big East Network, into espn through all of those things the various shows that we did uh, the highlight films which were such favorites throughout the 80s and 90s uh for our fans um things just evolved so much and this past year and to jump ahead 31 years later um the big 12 conference uh, got into a relationship and agreement with espn to create the big 12 now on espn plus and with my background um, in broadcast television, um, I think I was the natural fit to become the coordinating producer, executive producer, I'm not sure exactly what my title is, for our um, Big 12 now ESPN Plus broadcast that we're doing for virtually all of our sports, men's soccer, women's soccer, volleyball, uh, are things that I'm working on right now here in June to get ready for the fall in addition to doing all the video board work for um every venue that we have that has a video board which includes uh milan pishgar stadium the WV coliseum and uh mont county ballpark um so this is all brand new and we can get into that here when you're when you're ready yeah um but that's a pretty exciting change again my background is in broadcast television. I started in 1984 at a little cable access station in St. Albans, West Virginia. Um, and for anybody old enough to remember, there was a uh, uh, before we had MTV on our cable systems, we had on our little cable access station a show called uh, JK the VJ. <laughs> and Joe Kerner is actually still in business. I follow him on Facebook. Yeah. He uh, he's, he's in Nitro doing the uh, the Moose Lodge and things like that, and. We had our own live VJ uh, show, so that's how I got into the business, uh, but then fast forward all these years later, uh, with that broadcast background, this is kind of a perfect fit. Uh, there's so much now with digital media, social media, and there's some brilliant people doing some fantastic cinematic work. That's not my background. I am the boss, uh, uh, to some degree, Um of what we do, what we put out at WVU, but it's evolved so much now that there's so many young, brilliant people that they've taken that over. Uh, and whereas we did through the Mountaineer magazine years and through the Mountaineer Jammin' and then those programs, things that we did, the player stories and things like that, it's evolved to such a an art form now that I'm totally out of that. And um, I am now solely working on broadcasting.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just back to uh, J.K. the VJ. I remember I remember that show, of course, and um, it's probably the first time I ever saw a Motley Crue video was on J.K.'s <laughs> show. But so let's let's go back. You mentioned Mountaineer Magazine, and you mentioned the replay games. So let's even go back to then. So West Virginia was kind of ahead of its time. It's not like what you see today. You have access now currently to everything, just about everything sports-wise at West Virginia University, but of course it wasn't like that in the 80s. I remember um, the 89 Ball State game was a tape delay game, and the only reason I ever think of that is because I was there that day and couldn't wait to set the VCR to watch it to see if I could see myself on television. But can you just talk a little bit about the replay days and how – almost revolutionary that was for West Virginia fans to be able to see the Mountaineers on television because they weren't on television like they are today.
0: Oh, certainly. I And I go back even further into, uh, into the seventies when that, that kind of began. Um, there weren't a lot of TV stations. Uh, you, you didn't have uh social media, you didn't have, um, digital networks you didn't have uh, cable tv you basically had rabbit ears and you picked up your three or four tv stations well within the state of west virginia there were three public broadcast stations and two of them were uh, affiliated with universities wmul marshall university laboratories in huntington and wwvu in morgantown were two of the three and at wwvu being part of the university, there's some incredibly forward-thinking people. And I'll just say right now, Mike Parsons, brilliant. He's he's still brilliant. I I talk to him uh, uh, at least once a month. And um, he came up with the concept of renting a television truck and trying to produce broadcasts of games and putting them on the public TV station on a tape delay basis. After that, he developed a relationship with several TV stations in the state, and amazingly, throughout the 80s, um, again, the, the Mountaineer Sports Network, before we started doing the coaches' shows in the Mountaineer magazines, um, began to basically broadcast to tape all of the uh, the home football games, and some of the basketball games, and some of those were actually live for basketball Mm -hmm. but as it grew it it was incredible what they did so they got a network of like five stations throughout the state they tried to pick every television market your wheeling market your clarksburg market your charleston Huntington markets um in uh the eastern panhandle at that time there was a station in hagerstown maryland uh that was an affiliate and of course the beckley market so those were like the five markets Uh, again this is before mass distribution and the things you can do today so they would literally bring in the t v truck, bring out the crew, hire the announcers, and do the game live, so there was no going back to edit and make if there was a mistake and They literally had multiple tape machines outside of the t v truck under a tent and This is back in when we went from film into uh, videotape call our television um, it was a big fat cassette tape. Was three quarters of an inch high. So it was Mm -hmm. called three quarter. And the most, the largest tape you could get, maybe an hour. So a football game's three plus hours. So they had to find a time like to stop, like during a commercial break and literally change tapes. And there's a couple of engineers outside literally recording every one of those uh, on every one of those tapes. Fascinating about it was as soon as the game was over, the TV crew which were professionals from all over the state had an assignment after they cleaned up the TV truck, put everything away after a 10 hour day, they literally drove those tapes to those TV stations. There's somebody that went to Wheeling, somebody went to Beckley, somebody went to Charleston, physically carrying those tapes oh, wow. to get them on the air that night at 1130 PM. And uh, one of those people is a friend of yours that you worked with, Greg Schock who uh, retired a couple years ago after um, 26 years with us at WVU Athletics. So it was a pretty incredible way of doing that. They were so far ahead of their time. Anthony, here's a really neat story. Um, and I, I was just thinking about this the other day. The 1987 football season. Everybody remembers 1988 when WVU went undefeated um, with Major Harris. Well, the year before, when Major he became the starter halfway through the season, 87. We, um, I think we were like 6-5 and five or 5-6, five 6-6, and six, six and six, something like that on the season. Meanwhile, Syracuse was going undefeated. Now, by this time, the Mountain Sports Network, Mike Parsons, Nick Smith, had developed this broadcast into something bigger, where they were starting to do the away games. And when you did an away game, now you had to introduce something like satellite television to get the signal back to the affiliates and then count on your affiliates, those five TV stations, to record it and be able to play it back later. So we're playing Syracuse in 1987. I was a college student at the time, and I remember the game vividly. Um, They had to send that signal back via satellite. I was not part of the crew. I was not an employee at that time, but my mentors and the people that I uh, respect greatly were. And since it was on satellite, ESPN called and said, this is the most incredible ending to a football game we've ever seen. We're going to take you live. And that was the first non ESPN produced broadcast where they took an outside company and aired it live.
2: Oh, wow.
0: Um, the way the game ended was Syracuse scored a touchdown to come within one and with no time left on the clock, did a two point conversion got the score beat us and went undefeated on the season.
2: That's right.
0: But here's, what's really neat about that. There were uh, bowl committees watching that. And um, something had happened with the, one of the uh, teams that was to play in the sun bowl in El Paso, Texas. And so, their committee members were actually on. This popped on, and they saw this amazing team with a major Harris that was, uh, you know, so young at that time. I think it was a freshman at that time. Yeah, he would have been. A um, and they were just enthralled. And um, so WV football season was over. <laughs> they ended up um, contacting the athletic department, and saying, "We've got to get hold of your coach. Get your team back. We want you to come to the Sun Bowl." Oh, wow. And that's. Now, if you think about that, that only happened because WVU was so far ahead of producing their own television broadcasts that they were on and the first one that was chosen by ESPN to be joint in progress for that. And then, of course, the 88 season we went undefeated. But isn't that a neat story? And that's, that's the history behind MSN that is so fascinating and it was why I really wanted to do this for a living. Boy, when I got the opportunity, man, I I just absolutely jumped on it. And it's because of how forward-thinking they were and how incredible this was at little old West Virginia.
2: Yeah, so first of all, I did not know that story. And I'm shocked that I've never – I've heard some really good ones there over the years, but I've never heard that story. And I remember the game. I remember the two-point conversion. And what was so fascinating was a year later, West Virginia – played Syracuse and went on to go undefeated on the regular season. So it was um, pretty interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting story. And what a concept to think that they probably would have never played in the Sun Bowl had they not had their TV trucks up there. It's crazy to think right. about. Crazy right. to So think you about. can thank
0: uh, Mike Parsons and, uh, and Nick Smith and those folks for basically putting WVU football on the map yeah. at that time. I yeah. mean, that's
2: incredible the the distribution let's 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 talk a little bit about the coaches shows and like you you mentioned before you know there's there there was the the Don Nealon show and then there was the you know the the Dana Holgerson show and the now there's the Neil Brown show and they're very much uh, X's and O's type shows but you, met, you mentioned a show that a lot of people probably are very familiar with Mountaineer Magazine and on the basketball side there was Mountaineer Jam and um, just can you just talk about that show? I know it, it won several awards and uh, and basically brought a, a different concept of sports television into the homes and the people in West Virginia.
0: Absolutely. Um, one of the really neat things about it was, um, and and this will be hard for people to understand, at that point in time, in the late 80s, early 90s, there were zero, and I mean zero, television people working for the athletic department. The athletic department paid to, um, paid to, paid a fee to um, a division called educational telecommunications. When WWVU split from the university and became WNPB, part of the West Virginia public broadcasting system, the university was left with, some television employees and they created that department, which was educational telecommunications. Um, and that was approximately, i will to say 1984, um, 1983. So the athletic department, we want to ramp things up. We want to do stuff with you. And the university was, well, this is a new department and, uh, we really don't have the facilities to do this. So, uh, I, I don't know if you know this story or not, but, um, one of the coolest things was they had the foresight, the athletic department, to spend the money to purchase broadcast equipment from the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles. So I can't I believe it was NBC. I'm not sure which network. Yes, it would have been NBC Uh that televised that their professional high tech broadcast equipment um they put on sale and the athletic department bought equipment that no other tv station in the state had Uh, i want to talk about one inch machines uh there's a one inch reel to reel which was really uh, a little bit higher tech at that time the broadcast switchers the graphic systems by a company called chiron those just weren't available to the tv stations in the state because of cost so then suddenly in 1984-85 this unit um was way ahead technically And again, the foresight of these people to do that. So as they started into um, creating a show, I think in uh, 1987, uh, they started the the, the magazine format show, and they called it Mountaineer Sports Night. So by the time I started, um, which, again, I was part of it in 1989, but didn't start until 1990. um, The brilliance of this was, if we're going to do a magazine format show, Let's not have one producer do this whole show. And that's one of the things about the coaches' shows. Sure, they have reporters. They have several people working on stories. But with the magazine format, by hiring the educational telecommunications office, you had access to, say, three, four, five people um, that were creative. They're doing uh, marketing for the university. They're doing uh, chemistry videos, uh, they're doing um, commercials for um, bus emissions. Uh, the Children's Hospital telephone extension service videos. So they're real creative people that are doing a lot of different things. And you bring them in and say, all right, we're going to do a magazine format show. We have one guy that's really specific that's going to do the player profiles, and he's our sports guy. He's our senior producer. And then we're going to take um, some of these younger producers and have what we refer to if you remember, we called them lifestyle features, mm-hmm. where you go out and find a story, much like digital media is doing now, that's not X's and O's. That's not this. And some of the fascinating things that, that we found over the time was some of the things that the athletes are doing. Um, for example, you probably remember where uh, one of our offensive linemen was, um, had been a ballet dancer. Right in high school right so you know a story like that or um one of our athletes um one of our football players was um uh, going to political science and he spent a summer as an intern with a police department in another state so with these creative ideas um they were brilliant they started sending people okay let's do that if he's in new jersey let's send a camera crew over to new jersey in july and do this and then in september let's do a story on this young man how's he playing right now but guess what he did this summer you know so is these lifestyle features getting out there and telling you more about the athletes um i can remember one fun thing that we did was um with coach don nealon we did an entire half hour special one summer uh, just on him and at this point in time he was uh, you know, very active in the coaches' associations, and we went out with two cameras, and I was on the cameraman on his boat at Tiger Lake, and spent a half hour, Hoppy Kirchwal interviewing him and talking to him for a half hour on his boat out of the lake. While he's just driving the boat. Those are things that you didn't see in coaches' shows. Right. So by bringing in the talent of of all these people, and a lot of them had a public TV background. And they weren't into sports. It wasn't going to be, hey, I'm going to tell you why we, uh, you know, we we did three wide and and pulled the guard here and, you know, so whatever. No, it was, let's get something else out here.
2: Let's get
0: more. um, And that was the beauty of Mountaineer Magazine. Um, That was probably probably my favorite time when I was producing um, segments for that. Of course, when Nick left, I became the overall producer and director, and I didn't get to do the fun stories, but I had an incredibly talented staff, and by 1999, we got to hire you, and you got to be part of all of those things as well.
2: Yeah, that was, um, so for me, it was all about, well, first of all, it was a big deal to go up there and basically live on ramen noodles the first couple (laughs) years. You know, and but I worked for West Virginia and I worked for the athletic department and um, and it was a big deal to come in and uh, prove yourself, learn some things from the wide variety of the characters. And I keep using the word characters because I always say that these the folks that were there were truly characters and still probably are uh, the ones that are still with us. Um, and then – but you had to come in and prove yourself and cut your teeth. And when you got the opportunity to put together a piece that was going to air on the statewide level, that was a big deal. It was a big accomplishment. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I guess now in today's world, you know, you can do anything and just put it on the Internet and it's people see it. But that was a big deal 20 well, however many years ago. Uh, that was a huge deal. And I remember taking that very serious and, you know, all right, I got to work my way up because I didn't do anything for broadcast. It took me about a year, maybe two years before I was ever able to do anything on the show.
0: And, you know, we we kept that as a pride factor, but we also kept it as a goal. Um, I don't want to say, that, you know, an apple out there to, to reach up for. But um, a lot of us had, um, we had big backgrounds and broadcasting, um, FCC licenses, there are certain things that had to meet the quality of the criteria. And so, yeah, um, that was one of the hard things, um, um, about being the director and being in charge of that was when stories were not up to, uh, mm-hmm. par, were not up to, uh, our level. And to get people to that level, um, it, it was a challenge and incredibly rewarding, um, I can't tell you how many people that came and worked for us, like yourself, um, that learned so much, did such incredible work, and have gone on to great things. I I wish I could sit here and talk about our alumni base, and uh, I'm just going to throw a couple quick things out there. I mean, the West Coast Bureau Chief for ESPN, one of our graduate students, um, the director for golf for NBC, Mm -hmm. and I mean the director one of our uh, graduate assistants and, and former um, interns employees. It's reaching that level. We, we really, really felt proud about that, about making that a goal to, to get to that quality level. Um, I don't think there was any arrogance amongst us, but uh, it was satisfying when you have friends, people you respected from TV stations across the state that would come to a football game and just talk about wow, I saw what you did last night. that was amazing right and, Wow, i just I'd love to work with you. I'd really like to get up here and and do what you're doing you've you've just kind of set the pinnacle mm-hmm. up here and, and I think we did, and I'm very, very proud of that yeah um, a, a, good,
2: awesome. a good friend of mine in pittsburgh always says, um you know he he always says, you have to be this tall to ride this ride you know what I mean like so you have to live up to this you have to be, you know, you have to have this quality of, of you know, to, to be a part of it. And not necessarily, nobody was keeping anybody out, but you were, I, for instance, I remember specifically a time I was working on a period piece, and I think it was about running backs or something. <clears throat> and, of course, my young, goofy self had been um, experimenting with some music. Of course, my musical tastes were all over the place. And I and and the music just didn't fit. And you literally said you should take this apart and use period music. Use you know because I think we were talking about stuff from the twenties and the fifties and the sixties. You know, and I think we we're talking running backs if I remember. But it literally you had to dial it back and play producer and 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 you told me change the music and I did and it worked out perfectly. So you know when you talk about having to tell you know make those decisions about broadcasts and making the stuff right. That's, that was a part of your gig there. It was, but
0: so it was with my predecessors. Um, so I'm not gonna take credit for being brilliant. The people before me were brilliant and, um, did the same thing with me. And to this day here, 31 years later, even though we're not doing those types of things with the live television that I'm doing now, um, I'm doing exactly the same thing. Um, bringing people in to reach that level where they need to be to be able to make our broadcast great. But also now that I'm working with students to get them an opportunity. So when they go out in the real world, Mm -hmm. see what it's really like.
2: Right. Absolutely. Uh, You, you talk about, and just to share a story, there was, you remember the story or the, it was one of the lifestyle features. And so, it was it, and it featured KJ Harris and maybe Pat Liebig. Do you remember this? So there was a there was a lifestyle feature and it, and they did it. We started kind of doing like the the cribs type things. Uh, and yes, I do. So KJ, what people probably didn't realize was KJ had a little bit of money because he had been drafted and played pro baseball. And yes, he, he lived in I know a, where you're going. Yeah, he lived in a really nice townhouse in Suncrest. And his roommate was Pat Liebig, who his family, I believe, owned Mike and Dealerships. Yeah, they had car dealerships. That's right. <laughs> so we go over, and I don't even remember who produced the feature, but usually when you go into a college student's room, it was in apartments, you know, and I remember Mike Parsons looked at you and said, stop. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> Just yes, stop. If you
0: remember correct, we did not air that. and um,
2: It did not, not air. something else.
0: Uh, It's hard for the fans to understand this, but as an employee of WVU, and you've certainly, certainly uh, felt this many times, is we have to protect the university. We have to protect the athletic department. And um, those gentlemen certainly were within their rights to have those things. (laughs) By presenting that as an image, um, it would draw attention to the athletic department, the football team. No one, no one could question them, but you certainly don't want to make that right. happen. There are a lot of things that you and I are both privy to that we probably won't be able to talk about on this podcast. But there are there are quite a few things that we had to be cognizant of, and some of those included sponsorship.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: there was a certain soft drink company who was a major, major contributor to WVU athletics and and our broadcast, and we had to be very cognizant. To make sure that um, their competitors' brands weren't necessarily in the background of an interview that we were doing, right? Um, so, uh, well, it seems like a lot of fun and games. There was a lot of uh, a lot of things we needed to really be careful with.
2: Yeah, um, even even to this day, I know um, things like like for instance, people don't probably even know this term. I don't even know if you guys still make them anymore. But like even like the goody reels. How they were very sacred like you had to be yes like, we do not know, do know. that anymore no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because I, I don't Just think for real yeah i don't think people um i took it very serious and, and i actually have one on a tape here and um you know i think i showed my parents and they got a kick out of it but it's never been uploaded to the internet um you know because there's people you know that that are figures and legendary people, Hall of Famers, that are in compromising not compromising but just seen in a different light and without they were just being human, and and we had to kind of we have to protect that, um, and yeah, it was uh, but it was just an honor to kind of see that stuff and get a laugh. You know the the Jack Fleming stuff and the Woody O'Hara stuff and and get a laugh out of that stuff, but yet be in that circle. To where it doesn't get spread around and it's not like today somebody i know somebody would upload that to youtube in a heartbeat you know
0: you're right you're right so we, we are a lot more careful now yeah we were careful back then too but yes and that's that's something that um you you bring up on we had relationships and i think that's what is was so unique about uh what we were doing you know when i was growing up in st albans um the mountaineers were not on tv I listened to Jack Fleming and Woody O'Hara, Jack Tennant, uh, doing the broadcasts. And by golly, when I got to meet him, you know, it was, uh, it was kind of cool. And then when I got to work with him, and then when I got to be the boss of what we're doing and telling them what to say, it, it, we developed friendships. Right. We developed relationships. And, uh, when Woody O'Hara passed, um, several years ago, his family asked me to speak at his funeral. That's the that's the relationship that we had built. Um, so yes, I would I would definitely uh, protect Woody's image. But that guy was a pistol.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> he's the funniest man I ever met. Um, in today's day and age, you probably couldn't get away with some of the off color jokes that mm. he told. But no, boy, he kept us <laughs> kept us rolling, didn't he?
2: Yeah, I, I, I still tell this story. Um, so yeah, there she is. Hello, Kelly. <laughs> that's enough. Yeah, so my, my bear slash dog is um, looking out the door. So Woody, I'll never forget. So when we used to travel, um, we used to eat at the hotel, and I would often eat with Woody and eat with um, with Spank. and you John know, McKinney. Yeah, yes. John McKinney. And, you know, there was a the, the travel party. I'm sure you were with us often, and, um, you know, the Joe Webbs and Greg Shocks, the, the cast of characters. But Woody used to crack me up. He would... Uh, he would order uh, shrimp, and then he would order his entree, and another shrimp, and two desserts—one to eat there and one to take to his room. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah. He and he was like, yeah, you know, this is how you do it, and like, you know, that was the, that was how you did it on the road, you know, with Woody and,
0: and Anthony. Uh, I can remember a, a basketball early '90s snowstorm. Philadelphia, we're playing St. Joe's. Um, and I traveled, uh, with Woody and, um, we, we went down to breakfast. A snowstorm, the whole town shut down. We're trying to get out there. We know we're, we're going to be delayed going to the game. And that knucklehead came down in boxer shorts. And, uh, if you remember, uh, Chevy's, uh, Slogan back then was the heartbeat of America on the back of his box shorts. He had a Chevy logo and it said the fart beat of America. That's Woody O'Hare. Yeah, in a Marriott hotel having breakfast. That was our Woody.
2: Yeah. What a, what a character. And speaking of characters, let's, let's go through some of them. Let's, 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 let's briefly go through some of it. Cause we've talked, I keep saying the cast of characters and, and, and I don't even, I'm not sure our conversation now will even really tell the full story, but even like the Nick Smiths, you know, Nick was, um, hey, well, before I say this, here's one thing I always loved about being a part of all that. Um, if, if we respected you and loved you, you were often, and I don't want to say mocked, but imitated, if that makes any oh, yeah. sense. Oh you know, Absolutely, and all the way down the list, the Greg. Everyone, you know, we we imitated Shock, we imitated Murph, we imitated Nick Smith. Um, but start with Nick. Um, I know he was a mentor to you, and and is kind of uh, the uh, the Godfather of what we're seeing currently on television with West Virginia.
0: Yeah, you put you nailed that. Um, boy, Nick, he was a character. Um, Nick was gruff. He grew up in Arkansas, he was in Vietnam, shot film, worked in Denver, and then he came to WWVU in like 1975 to do four films, that's what he's talked about, I'm going to do, do my empty. I came here to do four films, that's it bro, that's all <laughs> I was going to do. So uh, he, he started doing the sports, and um, Nick was such a gruff character, and so aggressive, um, that he was a perfect director. Um sports broadcasting is a cavalcade of characters that's a lot of people it's it takes 15 to 50 people to to televise something so back then they probably had a a crew of 20 and they were learning their ways in the 70s and 80s how to broadcast stuff nick was gruff and he yelled at you and he scared you and he was brilliant and he did so many things he took me under his wing and he would yell at me. One of these days, bro, you're gonna take my place here. And he was sure enough; he was right. Uh, I I got to speak at his funeral as well. Actually, I was the uh, more or less the MC at his funeral. And God bless him. That man was uh, incredible. But like I said, very gruff, scary, and um, so many people that came through um, the 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 original cast. I'm just gonna throw out a couple names: the Alan Hercules, uh, David DeWitts. Uh, Alan Bennett, uh, gosh, uh, Alex Gavula, uh, these people were there and pretty much left right when I started, um, the, they were the originals and all, uh, what a cast of characters they were. But as we kept going, our, our buddy, Greg shock, um, what an incredible cinematographer,
2: one of the uh, best video sports videographers that I've ever and been around. Super great guy.
0: Yeah. Um, a lot of fun. A nice nice a man as you'd ever want to meet. Um Murph Tinsley. What an odd character Murph was. And he just passed away a couple of years ago. I hate to get on the uh the path here of all the people that passed away, but uh Murph, by golly, he he devoted his life to doing sports television for the Minor Sports Network. Absolutely. And he was a fixture um, for 30-some years as a cameraman. And, you know, he's even as he got older and we started putting 25-year-olds and 22-year-olds out on the field, 60-year-old uh, Murph still down there with a the camera, mm-hmm. getting to know the players, getting to be friends with him. And when he passed away a couple of years ago, um, I don't know if, if there's any fans that were at a particular game a couple of years ago, we left his camera platform empty as uh, an honor to him. Uh, for one of the games, but what a character he was. Um, yeah, he, he, you want to talk about a, a student of, of television. Oh my goodness. Well, you and I both know he bought tons of television archive equipment from like the 50s and the 60s, all the old RCA equipment. He even had, he purchased the architecture drawings to the original Tonight Show. Jack Parr, even before Johnny Carson. Oh, wow. It, it's like I mean, that's the kind of people that we were around. We'd say characters. When um am getting a little closer to uh, to, to your times, uh, people like Chewie, and people probably see Chewie now. He's a very tall gentleman with big sideburns, and he looks like Chewbacca. That's why we call him Chewie. <laughs> and uh, he is uh, pretty much works every ESPN game. Like if at a basketball game, you'll see this huge man in the student section with a camera free SPN with bunchchos he's uh, one of Anthony's contemporaries uh, gosh so many people like that um, yeah. that you were talking about like the Joe Webbs and the, uh, those guys
2: real characters I mean just um, personalities times ten and I think I think that just runs in the business you know now that you know
0: you're you're absolutely right, especially when you get into the creative business. Um, again, I was saying that we had several people with a, a public television background, uh, Murph being one of them, myself being one of them, uh, Brad Stonicker, a graphic designer. Uh, funny story about Brad. Uh, you know, he's brilliant. He's still with the university. Um, he did a, a an incredible um, animation series on public television, and he came to work for us. And I asked him to make me a, a, a graphic, and he um, he said, okay, so how long do you know? I said, seven frames. Well, there's 30 frames per second in television. So right. about <laughs> you know a quarter of a second. And he's like, you mean seven seconds? I'm like, no, seven frames. So that was a real big difference for him. Um, we have one gentleman, Jacob Young. Jake. Um,
2: yeah, the Jake.
0: Uh, I don't know if your sports uh, fans here that are listening on the podcast would remember, but he did all of the... Um, um, series on public television of odd characters in the state, including uh, the Dancing Outlaw. Yeah, uh, he was one of our people.
2: A different drummer. So,
0: yeah, the whole different drummer series. So we had a lot of characters, a lot of characters,
2: and we still do. Yeah, it's. Um, I think about those days, and I and um, I, and I wonder. You know, of course, unfortunately, we've lost several of those guys, you know, Murphy, um, we lost Ross, yeah. we lost Ross. Um, and I, you know, I guess it just, the time marches on and things happen, but, um, these names, and one of the names that we've, uh, that, I don't know if you referenced him earlier, but Danny Loman was a was a GA when I first came there and Dan just won an Emmy for the hot Rod Hunley um, story for Pikewood creative. That's actually uh,
0: one of a couple Emmys that he's won. Yeah. I actually, um, I work for Dan <laughs> on a part-time basis, on a freelance basis, um, for a company that he works, Pikewood. Um, they have their own TV truck. I do, I still do a little bit of freelance. And two years ago, um, I won an Emmy working for Dan as the director for um, right. televising the Pony League World Series, baseball That's right. series. I
2: forgot all about that. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm a- very
0: proud of that. I've never put myself out for an award in my life, and I did not do that. Dan put that out. Um, but you want to talk about it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Man, That that's a um, a character who has just gone on to do incredible work. And he influenced me quite a bit, too. You were talking about some of the replays. But when you were um, with us with the athletic department, we had to do a bunch of double duty. Because we got the video board. Right. In addition to doing the video board, we're also doing a replay show, um, that aired on, um, uh, Sports Pittsburgh. It was an hour long every Tuesday. And Dan and I produced that together. Um, and he, he really pushed me on quality. Uh, you're in a hurry. You're working live television. If you do live television, something happens, it's gone. But if you're going back to edit it, um, you know, I pride myself on my quality. But yeah. uh, nothing like Dan Lomond, the man, first class all the way. And he really, really improved some of the quality of my work. And everybody that we've named has.
2: Yeah, yeah. Even today, even with this podcast, um, I often um, think about Mike Parsons. And, and I actually format this um, a lot like um, the old Mountaineer magazine when I when – I sp- Put my format sheet outs on on Sundays. Sunday. It's formatted a lot like magazine, you know, and I want to make sure and I, it's the same every week. And but we hit different things. So it's funny how the influence continues to roll and the branches, you know, that have came from West Virginia University. But you mentioned the video board. So um, two th- night, well, I don't even remember the date. It may have been September of two thousand, West Virginia. Boston college they've taught we've now we've worked our butts off all summer prepping for this video board. I, I know you guys, um, you know, it, it was crazy just watching it go up. We were doing stories on it and then the damn thing doesn't work the first game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and that typical, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, that was, uh, something fascinating. Um, people assume that if you work in let's say television or video or whatever, that, well, you know, everything. Well, you don't. I mean, there, there are certain pockets in what we do. Um, like today's digital media experts, like I said, they're doing fantastic cinematic work, but not one of them could come and work in my TV truck for an ESPN broadcast. Right. It wouldn't have worked. We went in with, okay, we're putting up a video board. No, no, we do TV. We're televising the game. We've got announcers, graphics, replays, whatever. Oh, but you have to do a video board too with the same people, at the same time and not put the graphics up there and do the replays with a different sponsor.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas, you know, in the broadcast it's MSN, but over here it's going to be a specific uh, brand you know. from a sponsor. And then you need to play some videos to entertain the fans yeah. while you're in commercial break and shoot fan shots and do all of this. And wow. Wow. That was incredible.
2: Yeah, the first season so, was interesting. I, I oh, remember yeah. it a was lot nuts. It was some of the stuff crazy. ran back off. Didn't we replay things off of like a portable DVD player? Well, we had some
0: portable D V D players for some certain logos and things. Well, yeah. But really it was uh it was a whole lot of pre planning that okay and we go commercial break, and while we're at commercial break trying to eject videotapes put in a videotape that had a sponsor thing play it put it up there and make sure that it was done before we came back from commercial break plus show some fan shots and the the person on the field and the check presentation and it was just insane trying to do the jobs of three people and so um i'll tell your 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 listeners here what happened was it got to the point we just there's no way so we hired you to be the producer for the video board. Now you're a staff of one. You may have talked about this on your podcast before, but you were a staff of one while me and my staff of twenty
2: mm-hmm. are
0: still doing the TV broadcast, trying to support you, but you've got to do this upstairs by yourself. Right. <laughs> and if uh if you needed something, but I was doing something for the broadcast, I called you off. Right. Sorry, you're not getting that. And it, it just got extremely hectic. And what a, what a whirlwind all of that was. And I don't think our fans understood. No. And they never would. Why would they? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're serving three masters at once. Um, in addition to, meanwhile, we're still doing Matter Magazine. So some of our cameramen, while doing the TV broadcast and shooting for the video board, are isolating players for their stories that they're producing this week. So, for example, if we're doing the, uh, the, the left guard, well, this guy's got to shoot like X amount of shots at the left guard. Meanwhile, not miss a touchdown right. for me <laughs> for the broadcast or miss the fan shot for you for the such-and-such such, uh, sponsored fan of the game. Thing. Right. Crazy. So, uh, yeah, um, it, it those were some crazy times. Yeah, it, um,
2: was, a, it was a world – it was pressure. I, I remember that first season feeling a lot of pressure. Um, going into that, especially kind of being a one man band, um, and basically, you know, taking your feed and trying to entertain 60,000 people with it. But, um, it taught me a lot about multitasking. That's for sure.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, and, and physically moving equipment because, uh, there was only X amount of equipment. And I remember vividly, they bought you a computer that would play videos and graphics. Yeah. Click right. effects. You you had Yeah, click effects. And you had to physically carry it, and you ended up getting a, uh, for lack of a better term, a cart with wheels that, for some reason, it had Van Halen all over it, um, yeah. <laughs> to wheel that piece of equipment back and forth every day.
1: Oh, that's right. And I then- got
2: my roommate, the guy that lived with me, gave me a guitar rack. I remember that. And it was... <laughs> I, I don't even know how you remember that stuff, but yeah.
0: Oh, I remember that vividly.
2: It was a used guitar rack.
0: You know, as long as we're talking about uh, those things, let's talk about some of the creative things that you did. Um, as you and I um, were working together, um, doing the the various things, the matter magazines and whatever, we played Virginia Tuck, Was it ninety two? What was the year that we beat them um, at home? It was such a big deal. Two thousand and three. I'm sorry, two thousand three. That's in ninety two. <laughs> um, they used uh, Inner Sandman for to come on the field, right? So I, I used a Metallica song in the highlights uh, for Nightmare Magazine when we beat them. Well, uh, Coach Rodriguez liked it so much that he pushed you to start using that. And then the train signal. If you remember that, we were talking about. Well, what would be unique to WV to West Virginia? Well, you and I are both from St. Albans, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, trains come down Cold River. You know, they're full of coal. I, so live, I live twenty Cold feet away from Nitto. a train
2: track now. <laughs> well, you're
0: yeah. So uh, uh, for your listeners, this is a great story. Anthony and I sat and we talked about. Well, okay, let's let's introduce um, this coal train. Uh, whistle because if you're from West Virginia, you hear that in the hall, you, you know Coltrane's coming. Yeah. So let's use that for a touchdown. Well, you, growing up in St. Albans near the tracks, went down, and you were supposed to record a train <laughs> whistle. Yeah. But unbeknownst to me, you drove back to Morgantown with the damn Train horns. Yeah,
2: I got a train horn
0: <laughs> because you knew somebody that worked. Tell that story real quick. How did you know? Uh, you knew somebody that worked on the on the railroads, and you you got the actual air horns. Yeah.
2: Them? So a friend of mine that grew up in the neighborhood was a, a train fanatic. And so I contacted him and, and mind you, if I don't know if nobody probably knows where this is, but I grew up on the corner of Adams Avenue and Hudson street in St. Albans, which literally was butted up against the tracks. So we drove, I drove from Morgantown to St. Albans and I picked this guy up and we did do some recordings. We went, he went and found a train that was running and climbed in it and I went like 50 yards away with uh, a boom mic and a camera, and he did all these horn patterns. And then Let me sp-
0: interrupt you real quick.
2: 2021,
0: right now, the train sound that we play when we score a touchdown is the one you recorded that oh, day. Wow. To this day, that train sound is still in the 360 uh, at the football stadium. That's you recorded that that day. Yeah. Continue on with your story.
2: Yeah. So it was crazy. So we, he, he gets in a, in a, a running train. He tells me, he goes, yeah, it's running. They don't turn these things off because it costs them more to shut them off than it does to start when than to leave them on. Like if they shut them off, it costs them too much to start them back up. So he gets in, we record them. And then he's like, you know, I've got a train horn. You can take it back to Morgantown with you. So we had that big train horn <laughs> um, that I brought back with me and that's crazy to think that you guys still use that exact um train horn cuz and I remember I had to do that because we were playing we came up with the concept halfway or maybe at the beginning of the season third game or something and we could not find a pre-recorded horn if people if the diehards that have been to every game in the last 40 years remember we played Central Florida, and we were using a train horn that sounded like a a steam whistle on a on a sternwheeler, and it was just awful. I remember thinking, we can't use this. So yeah, I went back to St. Albans and um, and did that. And it's crazy to think that it it still lives up there. It's awesome. It
0: does. It does. And and that's one of the stories. Hopefully, your your listeners of the podcast get to understand is we work in this business we work for wvu but it's it's the little things like that the little personal touches we did that you and i you recorded it you and i came up with the concept because we grew up where there was cold trains, yeah and we thought that would be a cool idea it's been going on now for 20 some years and I'm sure nobody knows where the sound came from or why we do it yeah. but we did it because you and I came up with that idea and that's the beauty of the people that work for the Mountaineer Sports Network we're talking about characters we're talking about creative people it's, there's probably a thousand stories just like that of of how uh, we've we've done things like that a quick funny story uh, if you remember when we play country roads if we don't show live shots if we play like the video at the beginning, there's a picture of a rock that says, God, I love West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Well, that was that was out by Jacob's house. We drove over one day, met the dude in his yard, and he had, oh gosh, did he have all kinds of stories about how somebody stole his, <laughs> saw me in his yard or whatever. It was a nut. It was over in Preston County. And we just, well, you know, God, I love West Virginia. Yeah. Well, that was like the preamble. That was like the first shot in in Country Roads um, on the video board, and it's probably still plays today. That shot's probably still there. Um, Just little things like that. So it may sound folksy, and uh, I'm sure people want it to be a little more professional, but it's folksy in a good way. Uh, We're West Virginians, we're real proud of of what we've done, where we've worked, how we did this. Like you going back to St. Albans to get that train whistle Man, next time you're up here for a football game, next time you hear it, think to yourself, you yeah, know that that was me that day, with that camera down there.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because I I did take it pretty personal, take the job personal, um, and very so it was, and like you said, it was you were in awe of meeting Jack Fleming. You know, I'll never forget the first time that I met Coach Nealon. And then, um, coach Rodriguez and, you know, the, you know, I have a million stories of just being at the facility. Um, one of the best ones is when I pissed Matt Striner off. Um, we were shooting, <laughs> we were shooting an interview for his Miami rivalry. And of course he goes over to interview doc holiday. And if you remember those old beta Sony cameras, you know, it's a two-man crew. It wasn't like some, you know, people probably thought we rolled with 40 people. It was it was me and Matt, you know, and we're in there, and we're hurrying. We have probably were running late or something, so we're hurrying. And Doc comes in 10 minutes early, so we have to start. And the red tally comes on in the camera. We shoot this whole interview, strike the set, and I have to look at Matt. And unfortunately, people don't know Matt to – You'll, you'll appreciate this. And, and I looked at Matt and said, dude, there's not a tape in this camera. <laughs> <laughs> and he he literally turned red. Yes, Matt has yeah, a little bit of a hothead head. Yeah, he turned red. But, you know, it was that mistake. Um, I've never shot without a tape in the camera again. Um, <laughs> and we fixed it. We were able to go back later. I mean, I don't even think I'd been there for a year. No, I didn't. That may have been my first season there, but lessons learned, you know, um, God, I've got a million and one stories. And now that we've started talking about things, it's bad, but, um, you know, you, you gave me a real opportunity and, um, I'll forever be grateful for, um, you believing in me and bringing me to Morgantown was it was crazy how it happened. You called your sister, Kelly, who I worked with at WVAH in Taze Valley at the time that tells you how long ago it was. And um she comes in to me and says, So my brother just called and said to let you know they've got a production assistant position open in Morgantown if you might be interested in it. And and I thought, Well, well why in the world? And then come to find out it was because we had worked on the children's hospital stuff together. Um yep. and, and and I guess I I don't know what the impression was, but it was I guess it was good enough for you to tell Kelly to ask me to apply and I did. And I guess the rest is history. I mean, there's so many opportunities and God, I met so many great people and went on so many great trips. Um, and I always, I still have my, some pictures from my very first trip when you, you, I will never forget. You came to me and you said, Hey Anthony, um, if you want, they're going to pay you. If you want to go to Boston college, we need a parab operator. Now, the listeners a parab is basically the microphone that's on the field that picks up the, the play for radio. You can hear the, the tackles and the pads and all that stuff. And it pays a whopping dollars. but you have to ride in a van overnight to Boston. And I was like, yeah, I'm in. When do we leave? Midnight. (laughs) And we rode all night long to uh, Boston with uh, John McKinney. And I believe Spanky, his son, and we went and, uh, and did yep. the game. Yeah, thump, yeah. So, you know, those little things like that, I, I got paid a big 50 bucks for 48 hours worth of work and travel. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I appreciate you believing in me. And and um, I've gone on to, you know, cherish my time at the university. and uh, And still love coming up and seeing you guys. When I do get back up, I try to stop by and see you guys at the truck. And I know yes, that's, you like, do. that's like the worst thing too. For if you are listening and you see a TV truck, don't ever beat on the door two hours or an hour before the game. <laughs> you might get the door slammed in your face. But I always try to stop by and say hi and see everybody. But uh, man, it's been a lot of fun um, catching up. And well, before I get out of here, what for the listeners and with all the things that you've done over the years, what what are some things that stand out to you that that you are that you, I don't, that you want to be remembered for or known for, or you're the most proud of um, when you talk about your time at West Virginia. I, I have a few things that I like to talk about, like, or even tell stories about, but for you, what would be something that you would share with, you know, your grandchildren when you're older?
0: Oh, wow. That's a, that's a tough question. Um, just so many of the relationships, you know, I think for your listeners to understand one thing is, uh, you know you you you're a mountaineer fan you watch it but do you realize that this is our career for those of us that work in this we put our heart and our soul into it um we're also raising families and paying mortgages um you know for me approaching retirement um it's not all fun the team loses the weather sucks uh fans can be bad it's but it's, it's a, it's a passion. And you talked about characters. It's the people that you meet. Um, so right now, here as we, uh, you know, end this, yeah, my career has become full circle. We are now televising games again as ESPN Plus, but I've been, I don't have a staff. So I'm a staff of one, kind of like when you did the video board.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, I'm working with students for the first time. this has been about three or four years we've been working on this. but um, I'm working purely with students now. So every year that I roll into a sporting event, um, no matter what the sport is, I'm with 1819, and they're getting an incredible opportunity, um, which we never got. You didn't get, I didn't get that they're getting this incredible opportunity but for our fans. They're getting to see all of our sports mm-hmm. at, at an ESPN quality broadcast on ESPN plus. Um, I'm real proud of that. Um, again, it takes 15, 20, 25 people to do a broadcast. I'm a staff of one and we're pulling this off with some incredible local freelancers. Say five or six, and the rest are students, right? And that's not something we've ever done before. And I would say that now is my proudest time. Yeah. Now is the memories I'm making. So when I talk to my grandchildren someday, I'm going to talk about this, what I'm doing right now, because uh, these kids that we're pulling through here now, some of them are phenomenal, and some are going on to incredible things. And I'm just going to be really, really proud uh, of where they're going and what they're doing.
2: Awesome stuff, man. Well, Scott, uh, again, I I appreciate you taking the opportunity to join me. And I feel like we could still talk, uh, you know, two more hours just about, again, again, the characters and the stories. Um, I did share the, and we won't go into it here, but I did share the East Carolina story when we called John DeWall at like 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh, good heavens. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, you know, I remember being stuck. We couldn't get a cab one time, I think, in Cincinnati. I was with, with Shock and Striner and Webb, and we couldn't get a cab. We were all younger. We could go out and do things like that before games and um, it, it, just crazy stuff. I remember. Yeah, you guys
0: were at the Waffle House. Or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go
2: there. Yeah, and, and I just, like, you know, at the time I was really young. I'm talking 22 years old and. I remember we were playing Maryland, and, and I think I stayed out to like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I had the keys to the golf cart and, and <laughs> r- rode in in a T-shirt and boxers and had to hand off the keys, and I said, I'll be back. i got to go get in a shower because <laughs> I had overslept. Uh, just crazy things like that. Uh, I remember that being a really long day. That may have been the game where we, beat we finally beat them when Rasheed hit Chris Henry. Um, I think that was that day. But I had been out till like 3 in the morning with some friends from D.C. And I don't know. There's a million of those. But, um, you know, we got to share a little bit of it today. And, of course, it's always good to hear your voice and and catch up with you. And um, I'll be up. I'm, I'm coming up for the Long Island game. My nephew, you, you probably remember when he was born. Maurice is, com- yes. is coming to West Virginia this fall. Um, oh, wow. Fantastic. Yeah. So he was born there in Ruby. or It's not even Ruby anymore. I think it's – what do they call it? Uh, West
0: Virginia University
2: of Medicine. Yeah, so it was, you know, the, he was born over there, and he's coming back this fall. So it's full circle, man. Like you said, it's full circle. You're back to, you know, a team of one, and um, it's just time marches on, man. But um, again, I appreciate you joining me and and sharing a few stories, and I think the listeners will get a kick out of um, hearing your side of the story on on what happens on the in the background and all, all the things that you've been a part of since you know 19 you say 1990 yes sir yeah so yeah i think when you finished i remember i think you came out in 88 did you finish in 88 graduate
0: yes graduate in 88
2: small yeah time flies man time flies yes it does all right scott anthony
0: thanks for having me and and again to anybody still listening um just understand that we're all mountaineer fans we're all humans we all are are here for the same thing. Um, And it's, it's been a fun trip. Let's let's keep it going. Go Mountaineers. The Touchdown City podcast is produced by Anthony Lewis in partnership with HD media, the Charleston Gazette mail. Get your Touchdown City podcast merchandise by visiting
2: touchdowncity.com.